Welcome to episode 12 of the Pokemon Gold podcast. James Carew, co-editor of Pokemon Gold, and you're listening to the 12th edition of the podcast, coinciding with the release of Ireland's only football magazine. Toggle back wherever you get your podcasts for previous episodes, and if you're new to Pokemon Gold, we delve into stories about football culture from both Ireland and around the world, with people who've contributed articles, artwork, photography and more to both our website and six editions of the magazine. You can pick up your copy of Issue 6 in Easton's and Tuttle's outlets around Ireland or online via our website, pogmagold.com. On today's episode, we're talking to David Toms, a historian and author of Soccer in Munster, A Social History, 1877 to 1937 who has spent a number of years living in Prague and who will be recounting his footballing experiences in the Czech capital. But first I'm joined once again by my co-host Joe Phelan, a writer and editor based in London who has also contributed pieces to the website. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Joe, today's episode is very much about experiencing football and football culture. So can I ask, even though I know the answer as I was with you, what was your last taste and memorable moment from football on foreign soil pre the COVID crisis? Uh, it's interesting that you launched that with, uh, with the idea of culture because we both <laughs> know it wasn't a very culturally proficient event. Uh, so uh, James and I and another friend called Taylor, we decided to go to a match in um, Belgium. We saw, uh, we saw Club Bruges play because I'm, I, I suppose I'm, I'm sort of friends with Simon Mignolet who's the, the Club Bruges goalkeeper, and he got us some tickets uh, and he got us into the, like, the backstage bars and stuff, which was lovely. Uh, but, but bars is most certainly the appropriate word there because we went early. We drove on the same day. Uh, we got there about midday, checked into our hotel, forgot to have lunch, forgot to have <laughs> dinner. Uh, and just, just we're like, oh, it's all right. We'll just, we'll just do a pub crawl to the stadium. Realized, not realising the stadium was two miles away. Got to the stadium. I can't remember a single thing in the match. James and I, on separate occasions, fell asleep during the match. We lost Taylor. Uh, we ended up not being able to find a way out of the stadium. And then we got lost on the way home as well. But yeah. all, in, all in all, yeah, the, 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 the most minor part of that day was the match. Uh, I, I can't remember the score. I, th- I think James missed two of the goals. Yeah, I think there were two goals. We, we ended up not sitting next to each other. I ended up sitting next to a person that I thought was James that after 10 minutes I realised was someone completely different. It wasn't a complete waste though because what I do remember that uh, Bruges were top of the league. What I learned about Belgian football is that the top four or five teams end up going into a playoff round. So even though Bruges had been winning the season, but in actual fact when the pandemic hit there was no more football 
and Bruges were declared champions. So we did see the last game before. We, we saw the winning game, yeah. Exactly. And, and also it was a derby. It was against, um, is it, are they called Cercle Bruges? So it was actually a massive game as well. Uh, we, we didn't understand the importance or the significance of it, really. I, I didn't know who I was supporting half the time. I just was like, there's Simon. I know that. I know Simon. I follow him. <laughs> well, so for someone who knows a bit more about experiencing the local football culture, today we're going back to a feature from issue three of our magazine entitled Dimples, Kangaroos and Bohemians with our guest David Toms, a writer, poet and author whose travels have taken him from his native Waterford to places such as the Czech Republic and Norway, where he currently resides. Welcome to the Pogma Gold podcast, David. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Uh, I'm very excited about this. This is absolutely the highlight of my week. <laughs> well, and ours too. On each podcast, we ask our guests what first introduced them to football or got them interested in the sport. Oh, uh, well, I think like probably most people, I I honestly kind of don't remember a time where football wasn't part of my life in a funny way. Um, I And I also assume not like quite a lot of people it was my family who kind of first got me involved particularly my dad uh my dad was a uh, well he was a footballer himself he played to a reasonably high standard in his day in the mid 60s uh with waterford uh, fc as they were then and as they are now uh and he was later manager uh referee kind of did a little bit of everything really in, in, in football. That, and like as a kid, I can remember being, uh, you know, at the sideline down in Osher Park in Waterford with him on Saturdays and Sundays, whether it was pub league or whether it was Waterford Junior League or whatever it might have been. And um, and just everybody in my family seemed to be kind of some way involved in uh, the local junior football scene in Waterford as players and later as kind of administrators and different things. And uh, it's just kind of... You know, it took me a long time to realise that not everybody grows up in a house where there's just loads of football all the time, actually. Even though I didn't play myself, it was just like it was literally it shaped the weeks and the years, uh, you know, for us. I mean, it was a big thing when the the, like the new Premier League season fixture thing would come out in the summertime and all that kind of stuff. I just I mean, it was although funny enough, uh, my dad never had like a club. Uh, he wasn't he and I remember there was a period of years there where in order to kind of keep himself interested in, in, in football overseas, he would pick at random more or less a team uh in the football league and kind of follow them for a season just to okay. see how they were doing. Uh but he just he loved football um like just at every level and he just loved uh didn't kind of matter. And like I say, he reft he reft kind of junior uh monster league games down in Cork and he's gone to World Cup matches in Germany. He went in 2006 to, I think, Brazil and Ghana or something like that. He got a ticket. And, you know, so, like, he just loved the game at every level. And I think that was something that we uh, in the family kind of ended up with as well. And it football in that region, Waterford has a very strong tradition of football, but football in that region inspired the book you wrote. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's... um, Actually, it's funny, I was thinking about this uh, ahead of coming on tonight. And um, one of the things about it is, um, I so I did history for my Leaving Cert, right? And uh, by the time I was doing the Leaving Cert, they'd reintroduced the, the idea of the special project where you kind of went off and wrote kind of like a, a short 
well, it was basically a short essay on like some aspect of local history or you kind of took a deep dive into something. And I ended up uh, researching the establishment of junior football in Waterford. Now, I ended up then going on to years later, pick that up and do that as my PhD topic. And um, and I think what it was, was it also it was one of those things that as I was getting older and kind of realizing, as I say, not everybody was as totally obsessed as our family seemed to be about soccer of course also in Ireland you have the whole kind of culture clash between you know kind of Irish nationalism and the GAA and then you know but it was kind of I was kind of going well what was going on that like in some parts of Ireland people were playing soccer and other parts of Ireland people were you know insisting that you played Gaelic games and you had the whole culture of the ban in Ireland in the 20th century where, you know, you could only play one of the two sports. But of course, as we all know, the famous stories at this point, like the ban only applied unless you, you know, unless you were extremely good at one or the other and it would, you know, kind of help people to happily ignore the ban. Um, you know, and so I, I kind of just got interested in that and kind of what that was all about and what was the social and cultural background to that. And so when when I had the opportunity to, basically try and write out the recession by doing a PhD. I decided to go off and, and research this. And, um, you know, and that's that's what I, and that's where the interest came out of. And that's eventually where the book came out of as well. You're living in Norway now, and you mentioned about going up following Waterford. So you've been keeping a close eye on Waterford in the League of Ireland over the last 12 months or all your life. But what's it been like from afar in the current situation? I think it's I think there's it's just frustrating in a way. Um, you know, Waterford, you know, and of course well, there was all the hope a couple of years ago after Lee Power uh bought the club and uh, and you know in the first season it was all great and there was loads of money swilling around. And you know, and but I also remember that like there was a lot of chat on like fan forums about like how he'd handled his ownership of Swindon Town and how all that has worked in, in relation to also then owning Waterford and, and obviously there's been a lot of loans of players back and forth between the clubs and stuff like that and look I, I mean my own personal view is and has been for a very long time um, the only way to really make most clubs in Ireland sustainable is greater fan ownership um, you know and I think that it's great having these fellas come in with loads of money and it's brilliant and it works uh, but it has to be like long term uh, sustainable commitment and it just, just it often isn't and it's not sustainable for them very often either and that's from a business point of view you can absolutely understand that they sometimes can put more or less into it in a given season but um you know it it, it can be just frustrating for me as a fan you know and I remember oh, I suppose it's coming on nearly 10 years ago now um where you know there was the big push initially for like the establishment of more support as trusts in Irish football and you know some of that momentum is still there and I think we've seen with a lot of clubs that that can work as a really good sustainable model as part of the funding of a club Uh, and I think you know for me uh, purely from that point of view uh, with Waterford that's something I'd still hope to see someday is more uh, direct involvement in the running of the club from from fan groups you know, um, and then just on the pitch, I mean, sure, look, football is football and some days it goes your way, some days it doesn't. And, you know, I, I've had great memories. I remember the 2004 FAI Cup final, uh, particularly fondly, even though we lost that 2-1. Uh, great days out. And, you know, I mean, I've always kind of been there from the RSC days. I never experienced the old Kilcombe Park stuff. 
which ended in the kind of early 90s before I was kind of, I was just a bit too young really to be going to matches at that stage. Uh, but you know, even 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 watching refreshing updates on extratime.ie or like refreshing the Twitter feed, you know, it's as agonizing as watching a match in, in real life sometimes, you know, if not yeah. more so. Welcome to Prague, a place where East meets West. It's a nice, kind of compact city. It's beautiful. Popolski's done brilliantly here. It's so magical. It's out of a story. A brilliant goal! And it's Patrick Berger! Oh, wow! Tram's just gone past, and this is Bohemians. Bohemians, who were founded in 1905, they've got a just over 6,000 capacity stadium. Talk about amazing stadiums of the world. Well, be prepared, because this one isn't one. But back in the early 80s, they did win the Czechoslovakian title. And they've also got quite a famous player, Antonin Panenka, he of the cheeky penalty chip. Panenka! Oh, it's genius! It's a place to take in the magic. Prague is your city. You can tell in your, to go on to your article, that you take that League of Ireland upbringing and you definitely apply it to Prague in terms of what you were looking for from a team. First of all, what took you to Prague and where did the name Dimples, Kangaroos and Bohemians come from? Oh, well, uh, well what, took me, what took me to Prague initially actually was a, an ex-girlfriend. So I, I've been going back and forth there for a long time. And then, then I moved over for a while and, uh, and th that relationship didn't work out. And uh, what, the just, football one took the over. The football was great. <laughs> no. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd been, I'd gotten so interested and invested, I think, and particularly in the years when I was doing my PhD, you know, there was all that interesting stuff happening in the League of Ireland around fan ownership and all that kind of stuff. And I got to see a little bit of that through the Irish Supporters Network and uh, the Heart of the Game thing that was organised at the time, and uh, which was kind of a conference and like a, a handbook that was created for like uh, improving fan ownership. And, uh, and I got to meet Damien Richardson uh, at a thing and all this it was great, brilliant fun. And... Um, and so when I moved to Prague, you know, I was very interested in 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 football as a means of understanding the place, a place you find yourself in, you know. And um, yeah, and it was and it was just a. I remember one of the first trips I made to Prague before I moved there. I was brought to a match. Uh, it was Sparta Prague. I don't remember who else, but I remember thinking, oh, this is quite cool. And and then when I moved to Prague, we lived in a totally different neighbourhood, and there was this Bohemians team. And and so they they played at a, a stadium called Dolicek, and Dolicek basically translates as the pimple, because uh, it is and it is it's kind of like if you kind of think of it from the air, basically it kind of looks like a pimple in the like surrounding area almost, or it's like a dimple kind of chin, because it is it's also quite a lopsided stadium, so there's like a couple of covered stands, and then there's like what's nicknamed what was nicknamed the boiler, which was right behind the the home goal, and like which was just a mad place it was kind of a free for all you know like it was like it wasn't safe standing it was just standing and uh, it certainly wasn't always safe and uh, it was just chaotic and kind of brilliant and fun and uh, and they, the, the club crest incidentally is a kangaroo uh, which I mean Czech Republic and kangaroos don't tend to <laughs> kind of nationally associate but basically what happened was I think there was if I remember the story rightly um, there was like a tour of a uh, 
an Australian zoo or maybe an Australian soccer club came to play like a, an exhibition tour and they brought a kangaroo, which was then given as a gift, uh, I think, to Bohemian's club. And then they gave it as a gift to Prague Zoo or something. And okay. so they adopted the, the crest, uh, their crest as as this kangaroo. And it's just always remained that ever since. It's a real, like, I mean, that's the kind of cool thing about, like, Bohemian's is, if you want to say, I mean, I, I don't really like the comparison in a way. But I guess you might kind of consider it like the St. Pauli of kind of Prague or whatever. And so yeah. they're a bit wacky and a bit quirky and, and it's a bit, bit kind of like that and um and so it's yeah it kind of it's in fitting with 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 the whole certainly the fan ethos of the club you know which is very sort of kind of left field out there kind of characters going to these games you know guys who you wouldn't necessarily imagine as kind of looking like your classic football fan or whatever uh, it's it's kind of nice to hear that there are still clubs like that because when you when the only exposure i really get to to check football and I, I would say that is not frequent at all. It's whenever they play in the Champions League and end up uh, getting knocked out by Arsenal in the group stages or whatever. But um, the, the, the the reputation the fans have is that they just love throwing flares and the, the Czech fans are really, really aggressive and angry. And then you start, as you see documentaries about uh, Sparta and Slavia playing each other and they clearly despise each other. Uh, so that's that's my only exposure to Czech football. Is like I would not go to a match there because it's too dangerous. But it's really nice to hear that there are these other clubs that are just super left field, as you say, and like just doing it for the fun of the fun of the game rather than uh, some kind of like tribal loyalty. Well, I will say they absolutely hate Sparta. I mean, they hate, they also hate Slavia at Bohemians. So Bohemians ground uh, Dolicek and uh, Slavia's ground now called the Eden Arena. There, I'd say if there are, I don't even, I think I measured it once. It was like less than two kilometers apart. Like it's like, or it might even be like less than a kilometer and a half. So like, because I remember where I lived was right behind the Dolicek and I would be able to walk down and there was like a big Tesco right between them, right? And so, so you would walk past Dolicek to the Tesco and you would be, and the Tesco was effectively right next to uh, the the Slavia ground and so and so in the, in this neighborhood of um, of uh, Prague Vrishovice this was like this was a huge incredibly local rivalry yeah. and then you had like the outright hatred that like basically Bohemians had for Sparta uh, amongst their fans and just generally uh, and like there was some I remember going I think I wrote about this going to a game. Uh, it was Bohemians versus Sparta, and and so Sparta is over across the river, and they closed a, a basically a motorway tunnel, and we we as Bohemians fans we had to assemble in a square and and receive a police escort uh, up through this tunnel uh, up to the other side of the city to go to the Sparta's ground, you know, and what was mad was we were in this quite long tunnel. Uh, and it's pitch black and then all these guys start lighting flares and like banging drums it was just like amazing in terms of football like prodigy music it, video. it was amazing it was it was crazy it was just <laughs> i mean it was mad it was it was uh it was like unique kind of thing really when i think about it now i mean i've just never experienced and the only thing I can kind of, it even vaguely reminds me of is I had friends who years ago, I think, went to uh, the Krakow Derby and they just said, like, it was like, just genuinely frightening, like it wasn't even yeah. pleasant. You, you cover it brilliantly in the piece, that march to the Derby and that Prague, like, what a beautiful city. I was there 2019, but it's a city of squares, you describe it as. 
and you outlined that march of the fans to the derby. But you initially start the piece with kind of experimenting with the other clubs and maybe not having a liking. I think is Slavia currently in the media for a racism scandal? And and you kind of, you found Bohemians and Bohemians found you. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't really remember it, actually. Um, yeah. But I think it was just through people I knew. And I think they just kind of were like, okay, we kind of know your politics or whatever. They're like, you don't want to be a Sparta fan. Yeah. We'll bring you to the right club for you, and um, you know, and I think I think it was some friends must have brought me to the first time to yeah. Bohemians because I think yeah I think I'd kind of decided I wanted to at least try each club. Uh, yeah. I one one place I never actually went to ever. I never went to Dukla Prague's um, place, and Dukla Dukla is weird as well because people still have like real. I was actually listening back to the last episode you did about, about the Stasi thing, right? And it reminded me a lot of of uh, Dukla because, you know, Dukla was obviously like it was like the army team in Prague, and so they were winning loads of stuff the communist era and then when the communist era ended all their support uh, and all their money and uh, all the kind of infrastructure that club basically collapsed and they kind of were just like they were by the time i was in prague they were very much the fourth of the four teams in terms yeah. of just like public profile and i think a lot of people wouldn't follow them partially because even though they were effectively a totally new club the the continuation of the name and everything kind of, I think, it continued this association for a lot of people. Uh, but Bohemians, I just really liked it. I liked the the atmosphere around the games. I liked the the, the fans. I mean, it was also kind of very international kind of... And I also remember really well going to a couple of um, early Bohemians games and there was guys in, like, Dundalk jerseys and, like... Shamrock Rovers, and I was kind of going, I remember kind of going over these guys, going, where the fuck did you get? <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, we were, you know, we were in Dublin, so we like went, like they were just ground hopping, basically, and then they like bought like League of Ireland jerseys and stuff, and it was just like, this is brilliant, you know, and it was great, it was just really nice, and and they were always, like the fans there were, like they were intense, I, don't get me wrong, but they, they were also there for a party, you know, they took their football seriously, but uh, but I think there was kind of, this idea amongst the fans that look win lose as long as everybody has a good time that's kind of the most important thing at the end of the day and the atmosphere was always you know pretty friendly um obviously there's a few times it got a little hairy or whatever but uh, i'm sure they would say that it was more active defense than aggression but they they were welcoming to foreigners in that respect yeah they were definitely i think they kind of found it funny that like because it was me uh, a buddy of mine, Jack Burns, from uh, who's from Barnsley, and like, and a couple of other people who we knew, kind of in the like Irish, English, and Scottish kind of group of lads, and like we would go. Some of them went more or less regularly, uh, but me and Jack would go very, very regularly, and uh, and they were just yeah, they were kind of they, they found us kind of I think kind of slightly funny, curious, exotic kind of characters. A nice little novelty. Yeah, well, we were kind of a novelty to them as well, I think. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, because I think I think they kind of started to recognise that we were there really quite regularly. Like, we weren't just there, like, once, you know, yeah. we were there much every Saturday or whatever. You put in the piece, and I think it's really interesting, is that when you arrive as a stranger in a city, you, you were reaching out for a community. You wanted an established community to, like, create friendships or get embedded in a in a city 
and you found football the vehicle to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely did. I mean, it was, uh, I suppose it is, it is a ready-made community in a sense that you can kind of join and, uh, uh, you know, and if you want to talk about it, like that there's a kind of a grammar of football or whatever. And like, there's a, there is a kind of, and you know, a lot of people will refer to it as a kind of a lingua franca type thing. And, uh, you know, and I think there is, um, you know, if you're struggling to have any other point of common uh, conversation sometimes with people, it is one of those things you can, you very often do reach for. Uh, with people you know uh, it, it does open up uh, things and I mean I would even say that has been that was at least partially true uh, here as well in Norway since you know um, like so I think you know and I think that's it's one of those things I've kind of realized and kind of now anywhere when I go anywhere I try to try and go to a match if there happens to be a match on because you just yeah you learn I feel like you will learn something uh, a little bit about the place in a different kind of way um, than just going to everywhere else on the tourist map, you know. And I think, and I think it's also worth saying that you know, increasingly football grounds are on the tourist map and they're part of the wider tourist thing. And I think there's a maybe a conversation there about like football tourism as well. But I still think it's a relatively interesting place to to see sort of real life yeah more authentic maybe perhaps maybe I, not a word i love using but maybe a more authentic uh kind of version of the place you're in yeah i, I remember i went to um i went it, it's a sort of sort of aligned with what you said there about football tourism i went on a stag do uh three or four years ago to munich and we wanted to go to a football match but we didn't want to go and see either of the the big teams so we went to see unterhatchen who are just on the outskirts of uh, Munich. I think they're in like the third or the fourth tier. And and that will go down as one of my favourite football experiences. Because, because there's a group of 20 of us, and I think they usually get about maybe 500 fans. So we were a, we were a sizable proportion of that, of, that, uh, of that match. And we were we were hanging off barriers and giving them all our English chants and uh, picking favourite players and berating the referee. And uh, clearly the people that go there had never seen anything like this before. And then we just vanished into the night, never to be seen again. But I, I absolutely loved that. And, and we only did that because, because of the idea of going abroad and watching a match is something that is so, uh, I think it's so intrinsic to the idea, as, as you were saying, embedding yourself in the culture of somewhere else. And we obviously didn't embed ourselves fully in the culture. We, we, we most certainly gave them a dose of terrible, terrible English culture at the same time. But it was, it's just, it, it's sort of a, a place you can go and you can just, you're sort of given license to just blow off steam. And if you want to be a bit of a dick, you can do it and you can do it in this sort of jovial way in, a, in an atmosphere where people are just going to go, ah, they're just following the football. And then you just get on with the rest of your day. And yeah, I, th- I think that's amazing. Funny enough, actually, one one of my favourites. Uh, I don't think I I ever wrote anything about it, but one of the best games I went to in the Czech Republic um, was not a Wilson following Bohemians at all. Uh, so my my Norwegian partner Miriam, she actually when we initially met, she didn't live in Prague. She lived in a, a small town called Tabor, about an hour and a half uh, away from uh, Prague. And um, I remember going down uh, to spend a weekend with her and. Luckily enough, there is a football club because there's a football club everywhere. But there was a football <laughs> club in Tabor, uh, and it was real like I think they were second or third tier, maybe. Um, I'm pretty sure they were third tier, maybe. But they they, uh, they were playing at home this particular weekend, and I was like, I have to go see this, you know. And it was like, 
It was brilliant. It was like a man, literally, I took a, fi- a picture of a man and his dog on the sideline. <laughs> and like, there was kind of a bike just kind of chucked, you know, over by a corner flag. And like, it was brilliant. There was maybe, if there was 150, 200 people there, there was a lot, you know, and it was great. And it was a really good uh, buzz. And it was actually a decent game of football. And what was great was this club had, uh, I think, recently acquired an owner or like had gotten some big money. Because on the back of the program, I remember it, like they had like rendered in, in a kind of 3D image of the projected stadium for like the next 10 years. And it was going to be like a fully enclosed ground <laughs> that could hold like five, 6,000 people. I really hope to go back to Tabor and like discover that this thing has been built, um, you know, on the outskirts of this. Because Tabor is a beautiful, it's a it's a walled uh, medieval city. It's a gorgeous place. And it's it's so close to Prague, really. It's only like 90 minutes away by train. Uh, I would strongly recommend if you're ever going back to Prague uh, to take the time and take a little day trip down to Tabor. I can sense the League of Ireland feel of that. And I can see what attracted you to it. And you... You put that in your in the piece that the kind of ramshackle ground and I think you even said that Bohemians were a little bit rubbish and that is what enticed you there. What is the typical kind of Czech football fan like? Is it similar to just every football fan or is there something unique? You put in your in the piece also you describe Prague as a city of smells. Yeah, I mean I, I... It's definitely, I would still say that, like, there's a kind of a really strong olfactory element in, in Prague. I mean, I suppose it's true of every place, really. Uh, but I, I, rem- I just remember feeling that, like, different parts of Prague smelled quite different. So down the river, um, once you got past a, a place called Andiel, there was where there was a brewery. And, like, so you had the really strong smell of hops and all that kind of stuff. Um, other parts of the city, you would like walking through the city. It was it, it could get quite hot in Prague. It could get into into the mid thirties on a particularly hot summer day, and like it's all you know, there's a lot of stone and brickwork there, and so it can kind of just smell hot and that kind of that hot smell. You know, everybody's on their trams and sweaty, um, and it, yeah, it just it always struck me as a kind of a place where the the smell of hash. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, Prague was sometimes just ex- like you would literally just be walking down the street and it'd be lovely fresh air and then bang like a cloud for for like four or five meters and then it would just kind of be gone but this was all over the place yeah so it was I, I mean I, I remember experiencing it very much as kind of a, a as a city of, of smells um, in terms of a typical fan I mean what's a typical fan anywhere I mean I think that yeah. one of the things I, th- I kind of like about football is that you you can have an idea of a typical fan and then in fact that'll be totally blown out of the water by talking to the very next person next to them and what I would say maybe is that you might have mm, even though I, th- I still I'm not totally convinced of this but like you might say that there's a certain type of fan who follows a certain type of club or something like that yeah and even then that's not always true the the um you know for me it just go back to the whole league of Ireland thing is you know like so it's the weird thing is i i grew up following basically two clubs manchester united and waterford when i was growing up man united were winning everything left right and center and it was brilliant and it was but but really most people's experience of football isn't winning loads of stuff all the time yeah um and I certainly had that corrective with Waterford United in the 90s and, and 2000s, really. And uh, even even though in saying that, you know, in 2003, we went up into the Premier Division after being down in the first division with the 2004 FA Cup final. But then, like, the, the, the kind of early 
you know, kind of 2006 to probably 2010 wasn't great. And, and it's kind of been very up and down. Um, and, you know, and so when I moved to Prague, I don't know, I just, I, I kind of thought, okay, I could go watch Sparta and they'll just win loads and they'll probably be contenders for the league most years. And that's exciting in its own kind of particular way. But I, I'm also kind of fascinated, I think, by the, the weird compulsion that we have to follow teams who are probably never really going to win more than one or two championships in your lifetime. And uh, even even to think about in terms of like, you know, you're from Kilkenny and I'm from Waterford in terms of like hurling. I mean, Christ, we're waiting and waiting to win something in hurling. And uh, I don't know. I just I, I don't know if it's delayed gratification or something. I don't know what the hell it is. But uh, I don't know. I sort of maybe I, I, I like the idea that it'll taste all the better when we finally are victorious, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just um, sort of on the point of you raising there about it's uh you're not wanting to necessarily follow a club that that wins all the time because uh, obviously Sparta and Slavia are two of the the, the, the massive teams there, and uh, I think like Slovan Liberec were big for a little bit. They flit flitting and out. But were you there for when um, like the Victoria Pilsen revolution started, and then they just started winning everything out of nowhere? Yeah, I think I was there uh, just as that was kind of starting to really happen. I think I knew somebody who was a Pilsen fan, and you know they were obviously delighted. Because uh, again, you know, they were a club that were kind of almost there, thereabouts for a long, long time, and then suddenly they started winning stuff, and uh, you know, they were in the Champions League and and all that stuff. And you know, and what's funny um, about that is just coming to like, and of course as well, it's always that weird thing about capital cities, which I always think is interesting, right? So Czech Republic is one of those countries where a lot of the big clubs are in the capital city, but like in Norway, you know, the the biggest clubs are totally dispersed, you know, Rosenborg, Molde. I mean, most people would have no reason to go to Molde or Rosenborg. I mean, you'd want to be going there for a reason to yeah. kind of end up going to a match there. Where, you know, whereas you have the clubs in Oslo, you have uh, FC Lynn and you have um, Volleringa, which I've been to quite a bit. And like Volleringa are a great club and I really enjoy going to their games. But again, they're kind of, they're not, they're just not quite there in terms of like winning championships at the moment and haven't been for a while. And uh, so again, it was an easy transition to go watch a team that were doing okay. Let's explore that, David, because now you've ended up in Norway. And what are what are the differences that you've experienced between Czech and Norwegian football? Um, well, I would say I get the, well, a couple of things. For one thing, in terms of at the match experience, you can't drink inside the ground in Norway, which makes yeah. it like in the Czech Republic, you can drink like in full view of the pitch as much as you like, basically, which is part of the reason why there's always flares being thrown onto the pitch and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. So, for example, at the Intility Arena, which is Vollering as home ground, they have a bar and you can drink before the match, but you can't have a drink during the game. So you can only get like coffee uh, at the or coffee or like soft drinks. Right. And um, and so it's. People get a little bit buzzed beforehand or whatever and then watch the match and there's no real drinking and then they might have a few drinks after the match is over kind of thing. But uh, So that kind of changes it. And just generally, I would say the culture here is just kind of, on the whole, probably a bit more polite and people are just a kind of a bit more conscious, uh, you know, of, of kind of other people in, in a kind of... Not that people in Czech Republic aren't conscious of other people, but it just the way people interact socially is quite different and I think that has a bit of an effect on on that kind of stuff 
Um, and just, I mean, the other thing is football is not the main sport here by any right. stretch of the imagination. The big sport here is cross-country skiing. And, uh, you know, winter sports matter significantly more. Uh, you know, Norway is the only country that has more people going to watch Premier League games than Ireland. Uh, wow. You know, if you go to a Premier League game, uh, you're almost as likely, you're, you're more likely to end up next to a, another Norwegian than you are another Irish person, or indeed both on either side of you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, football here, the domestic game, I would say in some ways, is much more like the League of Ireland insofar as it definitely doesn't have the same cachet. I mean, you look even at Holland, and he's playing in... Oh, wait, can I, can I just say, I had, a, I had a stopwatch as when we'd mentioned him. When we oh, mentioned yeah. Yeah, <laughs> tw- 28, 28 minutes. It's, it's much longer than I expected. <laughs> but, but, you know, he plays in Germany. And I mean, like, so it's mad. You watch the news here and, like, very often he's the first footballing news. You know what I mean? It's not even yeah. about different clubs. It's about like, him. And, you know, obviously obviously there's the whole Solskjaer thing. And so they're very interested in Solskjaer. Um, so the way I, you know, football just occupies a very different position here. It's a big thing here, and and it's very big participatory sport. But I would say, in terms of a spectator sport, it's definitely kind of in the runner-up place when it comes to like compared to a lot of winter sports. I was going. To, it reminds me of the time I went to Oslo and I went and found an Irish bar, expecting to watch. Um, I think it was a relatively big game. It would have been Spurs v Man U or something like that. And I went into the bar and on every screen they were just showing the under-21s ice hockey championship. And I, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to ask because it's rude. Oh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just get into ice hockey instead. So I did. So I just stayed and watched ice hockey. Was that the Dubliner? It's kind of out in the harbour, like opposite the, where the castle is, overlooking the, the bay. So, yeah, it's sort of got a, like an upstairs bit and it sells so many Irish beers, like uh, loads of Kilkenny Red and stuff like that. That sounds uh, like the Dublin. I, I used to work there. Oh, no way. <laughs> there you go. When, when, when did you leave? Because I was there uh, last summer. So I would have been there just as restrictions got lifted. Uh, no, I, li- I worked there from 2016 to just the start of 2019. Oh, we, we just missed each other. I was, I was going to blame you for making me miss that Spurs match, but... <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. So this will also tell you, uh, just sporting culture is very different anyway here. Like, they're also big into, like, Olympic handball. Um, so, like, we off, we would often, when we, were, when we were in the bar, we would often get people, like, going, like, can you turn... Like, it could be a big Premier League game, or they'd be, like, turn over the, the handball championship is on, and you had to turn it over. Or uh, the other amazing one is, so the in the north of Norway you have an indigenous people called the Sami people. And the, the Sami people, uh, one of the things uh, which they're known for traditionally is uh, reindeer herding. And they actually broadcast live the reindeer herding. And people will ask to have that turned on. And <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so football just occupies a very different place here, you know, in, in, in terms of the broader uh, kind of public mind. I mean, it's big, uh, don't get me wrong at all, but, uh, but it just... It doesn't strike me as kind of being like the primary sport. That's that's an attraction to me. I'd love to go to the pub just not knowing what's going to be on. You go one day it's football. And you go, oh, it's the under twenty ones ice hockey. There you go. It's reindeer herding. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, it's cross country skiing. What what would attendances be like? Oh, I couldn't give you exact figures. I mean, they're okay. They're better again uh, to compare with Ireland. I would say they're they're as good as the best uh, League of Ireland attendances. Uh, regularly, you know, you're talking six, seven, eight thousand, maybe at a Volaranga game, I think. Because 
Rosenberg were always held up as a kind of model for Ireland in, the, in that they were a relatively small country and getting into the Champions League. How would you describe the kind of state of the current state of Norwegian football? Uh, possibly a little bit in crisis in terms of international football, um, as they have been for quite a while. I mean, I remember when I first moved here in 2016 and it was World Cup qualifiers. And I remember going to see them play Germany, and I mostly went to see what see Germany play, basically. And they just bet bet them around the park, and they won three nothing. But it was great. I mean, it was great to see. Uh, there were some really great uh, players for Germany that day, and it was just really for me. I was just del- delighted to get to see them for basically twenty five quid or something. And because uh, I will say that that is one good thing about, despite everything else in <laughs> being extraordinarily expensive, football tickets are actually relatively cheap. But it's not enough. Uh, and I think, you know, they, they very much have the problem of having to compete with the Premier League and, and the Premier League being kind of the, the, the thing. And uh, I mean, it's it's in decent shape uh, overall, I would say, Norwegian football. But they definitely have a kind of a real crisis of like just not having the players that they had. When you think about, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, there was quite a lot of really quite good Norwegian players and there's just not the same kind of level of player uh, there at the moment now maybe that's changing you okay you have Odegaard and you have like Holland and stuff like that and you have a few guys but you know again that's expecting them then to carry an entire international squad or whatever which is unfair on them and also unfair on their teammates uh, and puts them in a kind of terrible position. All all I was going to do is pick up on that point there and say that uh, Norway has the same problem as a lot of the like s- second and third tier leagues have is that when a player shows any promise they're just bought by a much bigger club and that happened with Odegaard at an incredibly uh, he was bought at 15 or something wasn't he, he was by, yeah. by Real Madrid uh, Haaland was off pretty much immediately uh, to, to did he go to Salzburg first yeah. and then um, I remember when, when Bodo Glimt won the, the league last year and that, that was sort of a surprising win their team just got torn apart in the summer one of their guys went off to AC Milan I think another couple of guys went off to Germany perhaps but uh, it just it just seems so it, it's like this this never ending cycle of the team does well they're torn apart the, 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 the National League can't progress because the best players are gone again and it just seems like this never ending cycle and it's and it, there's all, and you can't blame the players either. If they're going to get paid massive money by moving to, to Germany or whatever, then you're going to take it. It's your career at the end of the day. But it's just difficult to see how that sort of thing can, can change in the, in the short term, at least. I, mean, I, think, I think it's largely true. And I think, but I, you know, I think it's, it's kind of one of those maybe inbuilt issues with the, the sort of free market of players, ultimately. You know, I mean... Uh, and over, you know, there's no real way of overcoming that uh, as long as, you know, as long as we accept that, you know, football is part of society and therefore like wider economic activity, you're basically stuck with this thing where, yeah, if a guy is offered a better job, it's free movement to labour and why wouldn't you? And you, as you say, you can't, uh, you can't really blame the, the, the individual player uh, and you can't even really blame the league you know for what are essentially structural problems beyond its control or an individual club or whatever you know i think it's very very difficult but again to go back to some of what you discussed on the last episode where you were talking about you know uh, the, the guy who was on uh was it ryan ryan Kirban, yeah you know he had the experience of kind of the and you were talking about a little bit about the whole like going to england not doing very well and coming back thing and i think you'd probably see that 
you know, for a lot of Norwegian players, there's probably something similar in that there's probably a lot of opportunity to go to particularly Germany and, and stuff like that. Uh, and some of them probably do great, and then maybe not all of them do, and some of them probably come back and, and, and find a decent spot in a, a Norwegian club. But again, they're maybe not the tip-top best player or whatever. Um, I mean, aside aside from kind of having a fixed market in, in players and stuff like that, it's very hard to overcome that that I can see. David, it's fascinating. The, the, our time has flown by. You're a well, well-traveled man from Waterford to Prague to Norway. But I think we always say football is a universal language and it's been fascinating to get your take as a emigrant, effectively, on the different football cultures you've experienced. There was one story, if you have time, probably my favorite story from my job in the embassy, right, uh, was, was it two summers ago now, and Shamrock Rovers drew uh, FK Bran, and so, and they 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 brought two hundred fans uh, Rovers over to to Bergen, and they wanted and so basically they were and I kind of you know I was the only one in the embassy who really knew out about football and knew out about any of it. I was like, we need to have somebody on the ground because somebody is probably going to you know lose a passport maybe or whatever. And and the thing about Bergen is Bergen is five hundred kilometers from Oslo. So, like, if you lose your passport, you, they would have to come all the way to Oslo to the embassy and then could probably go back to Bergen to get their flight home. And so we basically came up with the idea that we'd run a pop-up embassy. So, so they sent me with, like, a little cache of, like, emergency passports that were, like, basically print-stickable, right? Essentially, like, one-way tickets. You've lost your passport and you need to get on a plane. Here you go. This is a document from the embassy. And they set me up and basically we had a pop-up embassy in an Irish bar uh, <laughs> called the Brian Brew. Of course it was. So, and it's actually Irish run. Like there's like three Irish guys run this pub in Bergen called the Brian Brew. And uh, and I went and I, it was also kind of a thing where I, you know, anybody who was at the Irish community in Bergen and there's actually a decent enough uh, Irish community there. I said to them, look, if you've any questions just about general consular stuff, you know, come during the day before the match and I can w- walk you through whatever questions you might have. And I was also there a bit more or less to babysit the Shamrock Rovers fans. And it was mental. And I also got, I got a, it's great because Miriam, my partner, her cousin, he is a, a referee in the like Norwegian like Referees Association or whatever. And he referees a lot of football and he gets a lot of free tickets to games. And he, so he had a free ticket to the brand Shamrock Rovers match. So I went with him and watched the match uh, yeah. after being at the pop-up embassy for the day. And then we went back and loads of the Rovers fans, I remember they got lost. There, there was something because there wasn't buses running back from the stadium once the match had ended or something. And it took them forever anyway to get back to the Brian Brew. And they got absolutely tanked. Uh, but amazingly, nobody lost a passport. Nobody needed any consular help. And it was just <laughs> brilliant. And I, I even I even got interviewed by a local Bergen paper. <laughs> for like running this pop-up embassy it was just mad it was great brilliant brilliant couple of days of work you didn't have to do the work it was a great story it was a pleasure to do it you know i was sent out to bargain for three days basically and basically made to look after the show and and i have to say you know as a waterford fan i had my uh, doubts about the rovers fans but uh, in fairness they were all very nice and very fair and that was the thing I think they loved that they there was somebody who was a big League of Ireland person, like yeah. from the embassy, and they just thought this is great, and they thought it was really funny, and it was brilliant. I can't let uh, a mention of Norwegian football go by without mentioning John Carew, 
who we oh, yes. we claim an ownership to. He's <laughs> but he's long retired. But if you ever follow him on Instagram, he's a very cool man to to observe his life. <laughs> I I probably shouldn't say this really, but he was also not an infrequent visitor to the Dubliner. <laughs> Well, that is the perfect place to finish our podcast. David, it was a pleasure. Thanks a million for joining us. I should say that you initially started out contributing to our website and it was almost a weekly diary of following Bohemians of Prague. And so I'll repost those links on our various social media to go back for people to go back and read your whole experience there. But thanks again for joining us. And I hope we might get you further down the line when Norway opens up again and to re-explore that issue. Thanks very much for having me. It was real, real pleasure. And Joe, as ever, it's great to have you back. Yeah, thank you. I feel like there's there's so much more we can uh, we can talk about on this topic. We barely got into Harland. Yeah, we'll we'll do a follow up. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pokemon Gold Podcast. If you like what we do, drop us a rating or review, or give us a share on social media. And if you'd like to get involved, contact us by dropping us a message at Pogmagol. Join us next time on the Pogmagol podcast.